We are going to be in Exodus, Exodus 15. Um, we're going to continue our journey through the book of Exodus. And so, um, if you will, will you stand with me as I read, as I read God's Word for God's people. And we will read verses 1 through 22. Again, God's Word for God's people. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider He has thrown in the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Verse 6, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. And at the blast of your nostrils, the waters pile up. The floods stood in the heap and the deep concealed the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoils. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. So verse 10, you blew with your wind. The seas covered them and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretch out your right hand, the earth swallows them up. You have led in your steadfast love, and the people whom you have redeemed, you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The people have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now they are chiefs of Edom, dismayed. Trembling seize the leaders of Moab, and the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of your greatness of your arm. They shall still, uh, they shall still as stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till your people pass by, which you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which you have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and the horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse in His riders has been thrown into the sea. God's Word for God's people. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Your Word that we just read informs us of one of the greatest events in human history. To the nation Israel, it was the greatest event in their history and still celebrated today. But to us that understand Jesus, the, this exodus points us to the greatest event in history, and that is Your life and death and resurrection for our sins. You have provided a way so that we could be exited from sin and death. Lord, well, I just remind that You are God who answers prayer. You are God that invites our prayers so that we can cry out to You 
either in praise or in supplication. And Lord, we, we thank You that You hear us and that You answer us. I'm reminded how You've answered us prayer where we had the, the whole church praying for Eric Gross and his heart surgery, Lord, and You answered that prayer. And we are thankful that You answered that prayer and that, that He is doing well right now and He's at home and just recovering. Thank You for answering that prayer. Well, that's a prayer of praise, Lord. But we also understand that there's also a time to pray because some have lost loved ones. We pray for the Bear family this morning as Jill has lost her mom unexpectedly this past week. Well, my heart, our hearts ache for them. I lost one of my great, great friends in the faith this past week as well. Lord, a tragic accident where he got just run over by a truck. Or sometimes those answers we don't have on why things happen, but we know that you are sovereign, you are in control, and that you want to hear us cry out and you will come and give us the peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, living in a Genesis 3 world, there are highs and there are lows. We praise you for the highs and we also praise you for the lows because in both highs and lows you are working. You are working everything together for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys, go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> How many of you love to go to concerts, music concerts? Raise your hand. How many of you love, have been to Red Rocks? Raise your hand and seen a concert. I mean, do you guys know how blessed you are? That's like one of the best places in the entire world to see a concert, and then it's our backyard. I mean, it's incredible. So that got me thinking, what was the largest concert, or what has been the largest concert in the history of the world? And we got, I got the top five. You guys ready for the top five? You guys might be surprised with the top five. Uh, Michael Jackson ain't in the top five, which I thought he'd be in the top five. As the Beatles aren't in the top five. In fact, as we look at this list, you can see like, man, we can see how far humanity has fallen when we look at this top five list, all right? And you guys will see as we look at this. First, number five, the Rolling Stones. Hey, that's a good band. Not too bad, right? The Rolling Stones, 2006. Copa, Cabana Beach, Rio de Janeiro. About 1.5 million people, all right? Number four, no idea who this dude is, some, some German DJ, Paul Van Dyke and Carl Koss. Anyone know who they are? Exactly. All right, right? 1.6 million, um, 2008. Number three, ACDC Metallica, 1991 uh, in Moscow, about 1.6, right? Two other real great bands. Might not agree with their theology, but they could, they could rip. They were good. Uh, but here, here, this one is just, <laughs> I could give you guys a million guesses and you would not get what number two is. And 3.5 million people went to this concert, right? Again, in Rio de Janeiro, you'll see a theme here. Rio de Janeiro and Moscow have uh, four of the top five. Are you guys ready for this one? <laughs> Rod Stewart. <laughs> Who would have guessed Rod Stewart? Anybody? Half of you probably like, who, who's Rob Stewart, right? That's a, anyways. 1994, 3.5 million people. New Year's Eve. Maybe that's why it was so big, all right? And then number one, uh, Moscow, Russia. Again, some other kind of DJ electronics dude. Jean-Michel Jarry, 3.5 million people. So those are your top five concerts. And that's a lot. And, and this morning, we're seeing Israel's first concert. We see Israel's first concert in Exodus chapter 15. And we know that there's about two to three million people. So this would be the third largest concert behind Rod Stewart and Jean, Jean, 
Jean-Michel or whoever that guy is, right? Anyways, but this is the first concert uh, and song recorded in all the Bible in Exodus 15. And Moses is the one who wrote it. How many of you have a trivia question? I said, who wrote the first song of the Bible? You guys would have said Moses. Anyone in here? No, we weren't expecting Moses to, to write the first song. But this, this concert is a concert of praise. It's a response to what has just happened in the Exodus. But again, Moses wrote this. In Acts chapter 7, verse 22, it says, Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. That's what it says. That's how it describes him, and Luke describes him in Acts chapter 7. Now we get, yeah, Moses was mighty in, in deeds, right? We saw him be used by the Lord and do all these miracles. And we're like, yeah, that's it. But mighty in words? Moses? We see that he has a stuttering problem. And even from his own lips, he says, I am a man of uncircumcised lips. We would say, there's no way that Moses was mighty in words. But then we see, like, this is where Moses was mighty in words. He was a songwriter. He wrote this one in Exodus 15, the first song in the Bible. But then he also wrote a great psalm in Deuteronomy 32 and then also Psalm 90. So Moses was mighty in words as a songwriter. And his song here in Exodus 15, again, celebrates the Exodus, God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. Again, as I mentioned in my prayers, this is the greatest event in Israel in the Jews' history, still celebrated today as the greatest event. And we see that it's so great that the Holy Spirit inspires Moses to write and record it twice in back-to-back -back chapters. In Exodus 15, he records it, then Exodus, 15, uh, Exodus 14, then Exodus 15, he records it. One commentator rightly puts it like this. Exodus 14 is written in prose. Exodus 15 is written in praise. Exodus 14 tells us the story. Exodus 15 sings the story. Exodus 14, we see that the people march on dry ground. Exodus 15, the people dance on dry ground. In Exodus 14, we have a, a holy hush. In Exodus 15, we see loud singing and praises with joyful hearts. It's a great contrast how he sums up the, the two differences between Exodus 14 and Exodus 15. Today, we're going to look at Exodus 15 primarily. We're going to look to it in its context, in its genre. It's a praise song. It's in, it's in poetry. And we're going to look at it this. We, we see what makes a worthy praise song that we sing corporately. And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see these couple principles. We're going to see three principles. They could be these high-level general principles, not exhaustive principles, but these are principles that we see in Moses' song that set the tune for even the songs that we just sang. Worthy, God-glorifying songs of praise. These principles are the same today as they were thousands of years ago. The one thing about this, since we see songs of praise and the way we're approaching it, uh, we're not going to go like kind of like line by line, verse by verse, as we usually do. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit under these categories. In the first categories, we see this. A great praise song that we sing in worship is a response to the Lord. Great praise songs are response to the Lord. Look at Exodus 15, verse 1. Then. Then. That little word's a time clause. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. Again, we begin with verse 1 with that word, then. That word then is a time clause. It tells us they're responding to something that just happened. And what are they responding to that just happened? He tells us in verse 1. I will sing to the Lord. Why? 
for he has triumphed gloriously. The Lord has triumphed gloriously. He's talking about what just took place in the Exodus. Israel has been under oppression for hundreds of years. Slaves in bondage to Egypt. And Moses led them out to freedom. One commentator put, points it this way. This is why they're singing. For hundreds of years, Israel didn't sing. But they sighed. They sighed because of the oppression that they felt. They didn't sing. They didn't have any songs of hope. They didn't have any songs of joy. All they did was sigh. We always go back to Exodus chapter 2 and, and verse 24 where it says, and God heard them cry out. They heard them cry out. They did not have songs of singing, of rejoicing. They were sighing until now. Until now. Now their sign has been turned into singing. And we see how the Lord has delivered them. And He gives us this graphic language. Remember, this is a praise song. This is the first song we see in how to worship the Lord. And we see how the Lord has delivered them. Verse 6, look at verse 6. Your right hand, O Lord, has shattered the enemy. Verse 7, you send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. Verse 10, you blew with your wind and the sea covered them and they sank like lead in the mighty waters. In verse 12, you stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. And again, what we must point out here is that God was very, very patient with Egypt. In fact, God blessed Egypt 430 years earlier with this guy named Joseph that literally saved the whole country, Egypt, that was a world power then, and really the world through Joseph, through God's man. But they, tend, they, they forgot throughout the years, and then the pharaohs came, they, they said they forgot the story of Joseph, then they enslaved the Jewish people, and they've been in bondage ever since. And God gave them, sent them, uh, a, a guy in Moses telling them to repent and turn to the Lord and let his people go. And he did that over and over again, and Pharaoh kept hardening his heart. So God has been patient with them, but now it's time to act as He is a God of justice and righteousness. And He acts. And He acts through the Exodus. But we see again, the main reason why they sing is in verse 13. In verse 13, you should highlight it, you should underline it. This is why the people are singing with joy. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. That's why they're singing. They're singing because God's love is on display for Israel. And He's showing it by redeeming them. By delivering them. By again, taking them out of bondage. And, and now they're going to be a free country. And so they aren't sighing anymore, but they are singing. And they are singing with hearts full of joy because of the steadfast love of God. That's caused Him to deliver and redeem His people. So this is again the first big principle we see that makes a great praise song, that makes us worship, is that worship is a personal response to the redeeming love of God. Same for Israel back then, same for us this morning. The reason why we sing on Sunday mornings isn't because this is just what we do. The reason why you, you sing at home, you sing on the way to work, the reason why you praise the Lord on a daily basis, I'm assuming you're like me, you, you praise the Lord on a daily basis, you sing because you understand God's redemptive love in your life. He has redeemed you. He has saved you. Therefore, we sing. It's a personal response to the Lord. Responding to the love of God that is found in the redemption of Christ Jesus. And again, as important as Exodus was, we look back through the lens of the cross. And that is, the Exodus points us to the, to the greatest event in history, and that's Christ's life, death, and resurrection for you and for me. And because what He has done for us, 
Because apart from Christ, the Scripture says that we were all dead in our sins and trespasses. That no one has any hope apart from Christ. And that we sit again under the weight of eternal judgment with no ability, no ability to save ourselves. But then we read in Romans chapter 5, 8, this is where we get excited and rejoice. This is what the Exodus is pointing to. But God shows us what? His love for us. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And since therefore now we have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by the wrath of God. So just as Israel's sign was turned into singing, your sign, my sign, apart from Christ, has been turned to singing because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And the only way we can go from sign to singing is as we recognize that, that we cannot save ourselves, that we see our plight, that we are separated, we are dead apart from Christ. But because of His great love, He sent His Son Jesus to live and to die on the cross. And we receive that by repenting of our sin, acknowledging that we've been separated by from Christ because of our sin and what He has done for us, and we receive Him by faith. So if you've experienced that, if you've experienced the Lord's love through the gospel of Christ, through justifying grace, you sing. That's a natural inclination. That's what happens. You, you sing. You celebrate this story in your life. You celebrate the exodus in your life through singing. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You come on Sundays. You sing in the, the shower. Wherever you sing, you sing out loud with joy with all your might. Do you think that anyone was singing in Exodus after they just got walked through uh, the Red Sea? Do you think anyone was just kind of going through the motions in their praise? Or do you think they were singing at the top of their lungs? I think they were singing at the top of their love. They weren't just kind of hands in the pocket, just kind of singing in a little voice. Man, they were praising the Lord. Now, some of us are like, man, I can't sing well. I know I can't sing well. I got, I got a terrible voice just like you, right? And, but, the, but the Bible says make a joyful noise, and the Lord labels that singing, right? So that should make you feel good. It makes me feel good. So you just come here, and you see what Christ has done for you in His love for you. He's died for you. He saved you. So we sing. We sing at loud. Singing is what God's people do in response to what He has done for us. So that's point number one. Point number two is this. Praise, singing, worship is centered on the Lord. Is centered on the Lord. Is, is zeroed in on an audience of one. And that is Jesus. That's why I love about what Cole and Jack and Eric, whoever gets up here, there's such an emphasis on this. We don't sing Jesus is my boyfriend music. You're not confused like am I singing to Jesus or I'm singing to someone else. No, we know who exactly who we are singing to. Our, our songs are picked because they're centered on the Lord. They're focused on the Lord. Look at Exodus 14. The last verse in Exodus 14, look what it says. It says, so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in their servant Moses. So they focus on the end of 14. It says, man, they, they believed in the Lord and they believed in Moses. Moses was used by the Lord to deliver his people. But we see in Exodus 15, when this song is written, there is only one who's getting the praise. There is only one in which this song is focused on, and it's not Moses. It's Yahweh. It's the Lord God. He is where... Moses' attention is centered on, is concentrated on. All attention and praise goes to Yahweh the Lord. And rightly so, right? He is the one that delivered them. You see, in life, we don't praise the tools of the professional. We praise the professional that uses the tools, that works with the tools. 
Moses was just a tool in God's hand to deliver his people. And Moses knows this himself. If you've been with us since Exodus chapter 1, we know that Moses is not a perfect man. Many people might think that Moses is a perfect guy, but he has shared his shortcomings over and over again to us to prove that this is all God. Moses was useless out without God moving and directing. Moses was the tool God was using to deliver his people, and it's the same with us. Again, I already mentioned this past week, many of us, if not all of us, were praying for Eric, Eric Gross and his heart surgery. And again, by God's grace, he answered the prayer. But when I talked and, and was communicating with Jennifer um, after the, the, the surgery on Thursday, um, she didn't praise the tools, right? She didn't go like, oh man, Mr. Ivy, you were just awesome, right? It's like, man, Ivy, if you, you know, it, we couldn't have done it without you. She didn't, she didn't praise the medical gloves or the scalpel like, oh, geez, scalpel. Man, you're, you're, you know. No, she praised the professionals that used the tools. She, she praised the doctors and the nurses that were using tools as they were supposed to be used to execute the surgery. And then we, there's another layer there even to take it a step further. As Christians, we understand that the doctors are just the tools, right? In the hands of the Lord. And there's this great painting that she, uh, she posted on Facebook that really emphasizes this. And it's a picture of these, these surgeons and nurses around this patient. And they're operating. And you have Jesus behind them kind of you know, moving the hands of the doctors. This is why great praise songs are centered on the Lord. He is the one that is using us and directing our lives. We are just tools. So when we sing worship songs to the Lord, we, we worship Him alone. The worship is concentrated on Him alone. We sing to Him alone on who He is and what He has done in all of His glory. In all of His glory. There are so many different attributes of God that we just don't focus on one or two, but we want to sing about all of who God is in our songs. And in this song, we see a number of examples of his attributes, his characteristics. One points out we see, we praise the Lord because of his sovereignty. We've been seeing this over and over again through the, the book of uh, Exodus, his sovereignty over the Exodus, of, over salvation, over his deliverance. We see in verse 13 that he is working out his sovereign purpose, leading his people to his holy abode. He is directing, he is guiding Israel to where they want to be. In verse 17, we see that all the kings and the nations are silent as God brings his people to his sanctuary. Uh, Egypt had no chance, no shot. The Lord was going to do what the Lord is going to do because he is the Lord. He says, you will bring them. It's your plan. It's your power that executes and brings out Israel. Notice also in verse 15, as they're singing, they're talking about they're singing about the future about these future events because it's about to pick up. There's about to be battle after battle after battle as, as Israel is about to take the new promised land. There's all these warring na these nations that are going to war against them. And the Lord said, I already got you. And we already see like in verse 15, it says, all the inhabitants of, Calum, uh, of Canaan have melted away. So there's this faith in the, in the Lord's sovereignty that they're singing about. Now, this is what's going to happen because the Lord is the Lord. The Lord is sovereign and He is in total control. We also see we praise the Lord for He He's personal. He's relational. He's just not some entity outside our, our world. Yes, He is transcendent, but He's also very imminent. He's intimate with everyone. Look at verse 2. The Lord is whose strength? My strength. 
and my song. And he has become my salvation. Yes, Israel was saved corporately, but they also saved individually, personally. The Lord knows his people. He's a personal Lord. The Lord is a covenant keeping God. This is why we praise him, because as in verse two, my father's God, just as God demonstrated his power and glory to, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, he he's doing it now. Thousands of years later, hundreds of years later, he's doing the same thing. He's faithful. He's keeping his covenant promises. So we sing about that. We sing about the Lord is a warrior here. We at the crossing, we're not a politically correct church. There, there are attributes about God like He is a warrior. He's a, a man of war that we sing and we acknowledge and praise. And He's not a, a man of war like some bloodthirsty uh, Ares in the Greek mythology, but he's a, he's a God of justice and a God of righteousness. And when He sees oppression happen, He gets angry. And He comes and saves those who are oppressed. Those who can't save themselves. He's a God of, of justice and righteousness. We sing... Just Psalm 46, one of the great songs. Almighty one of Israel, you are on our side. We walk by faith in God who burns the chariots with fire. He's God of justice. He's God of righteousness. He is a God of wrath. He is, he is a warrior God. So we praise Him for that. And we see that that wasn't just something He did back then. We see that's something He did accomplish at the cross. Again, we couldn't save ourselves. We were the ones that were in desperate need of a warrior, of a savior to come and rescue us, to deliver us. And he did that. And we see in the future, in Revelation chapter 20, he will finally put an end to Satan and sin as he goes to war. And it's a quick war where he will be triumphant and he will usher in the heaven here on earth. Heavens here on earth. So we see the Lord is a warrior. We also praise the Lord because he's unique. He's the one and only. Look at verse 11. Who is like you among the gods? Rhetorical question. That means there's no one like him. He's unique. He is in his own category. He has no equal. He is incomparable to anyone else. He is utterly unique. And then finally, the name. We praise him through his name. His name is just more than a name, but his name is his attributes. It encompasses who he is. Look at verse 3. The Lord is His name. And again, it's the, it's the name Yahweh. And it's a clear um, uh, connection back to chapter 3 where God first revealed Himself to Moses at the burning bush that He is, I am who I am. When Moses said, who should I send? God says, I am who I am. I am the self-existed one. The self-sufficient one. And here's the implications for that of us. Again, it's more than just a name. There's, there's, there's a lot of implications behind God's name for you and for me. As we, as we go through Scripture, the name Yahweh then becomes Jehovah. It's another translation for Yahweh is Jehovah. And we see throughout Scripture, we see that there's the name Jehovah, and then there's another name behind it, right? Like Jehovah Jireh, uh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Rohi. There's these names that fall. So there's Jehovah, I'm the self-existing one, and then another name that gives another attribute of who he is. And here's where this is so uh, important for us because what it points us to when it says the Lord is His name, we should have all these thoughts, all these attributes that, that, that just gives us a great idea and a grander vision of who God is. It says this. The point is when God reveals Himself by these names, as if to say, this is what He's saying to us, I am the eternal one and I can help you in any way you need. I am the eternal one I possess all power, all wisdom, all knowledge, 
And I can use all that, and I desire to use that to help you in any way you need. So let me ask you a couple questions this morning. Are you lonely? Do you feel alone? Right? We're, we're about to enter a season where some of the most depressing times in all of the year, the calendar, this is the most depressing time entering in because people are lonely. But in Scripture, it, God calls Himself Jehovah Shema. I am with you. I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. How about do you need, do you need salvation? Do you need to be saved? The Scripture calls the Lord's name Jehovah Tzedekanu. Uh, he is God's righteousness. He is the Savior. Do you need provision this morning? Do you need provision this morning? Do you need help? He's Jehovah Jireh. He will provide you. Do you need healing? He is Jehovah Rapha. He, he heals. He will provide His healing. Do you need wisdom? Do you need direction? Do you need care for your soul? He's Jehovah Rohi. He's the one who's the shepherd. So when you see the name of the Lord, all these attributes are in there. He is the eternal one, the all-powerful one to give you what you need, to get you through to what you need. So these are the characteristics and we see the Lord. And under this principle of worship that, the, that everything is centered on the Lord, it also means that He is exclusive and not inclusive. Again, the, the Lord has no desire for divided hearts. He wants all of our worship, all of our praise. Egypt had Ra, the sun god. Watch it, the goddess from the snake. Hopi, the god of the Nile. And again, the Lord destroyed all that to prove that He is the one true God. That everything, every song that we sing to give worship to God is focused and centered on Him. Only the Lord is to be worshipped and no other. We, we, we've all seen that bumper sticker. And hopefully no one has this bumper sticker on their car. Um, Jesus is my co-pilot, right? That's just bad theology, right? Jesus doesn't share His seat with anyone, right? He doesn't share His cockpit with anyone. In fact, Carrie Underwood is actually a good theologian, right? You guys know Carrie Underwood. Jesus take the wheel, right? That's good theology right there. Because Jesus is in the driver's seat. He's the one driving your life and my life, right? So you can even learn some good theology from country music, Carrie Underwood, all right? Again, our worship, our praise, good worship and praise songs are centered, are focused on the Lord and on Him alone. That takes us to our third point. We see that praise and singing, again, as a response to the Lord. Praise and singing and worship is concentrated or, or, or centered on the Lord. And third, praise, singing, and worship is a physical expression to the Lord. Again, verse 1, we see that they, they sang. They are singing. They are using their voices to sing. It's a physical response. In Exodus chapter 15, look at uh, verse 20. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess and the sister of Aaron took the tambourine in her hand. And all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his riders has thrown into the sea. So we see this response in the beginning and the end of singing, of song. Again, you see the bookend passages in verse, the end of 21, the verse 1. For he has triumphed gloriously. 
That's why they're singing, because of the triumph, the excess of what God has just done for them. There's a response, and our response is not only uh, mental, we think about it, but we, we express ourselves through physical action. Again, just think about that. Two to three million people are walking through the Red Sea, and not a spray, not a drop, not a sprinkle of that fell upon them. They walked on dry land. Now, just a question. Chad taught on this last week, but... Um, uh, I was just thinking about this. I, I get crazy thoughts when I study these passages sometimes. But I want you to put yourself there as you're walking through the Red Sea. You're one of those people walking through the Red Sea. Where do you position yourselves as you're walking through the Red Sea? Would you guys like be in the middle and you see these walls of water, right? And you're just freaking out like, oh my gosh, are these things going to come? Are you going to kind of sit in the middle? Or will you be with me and you'd be like on the side as close as you can to the to the water and you'd be like, put your right hand in, you put your right hand out. You know, you put your right hand in and you shake it all about. I don't know, who's with me on that one, right? Who's like getting next to that wire and be like, Ew, this is cool, man. You know, you kind of jump in, you're wet, you jump out, you're dry. I don't know. Anyways, that's just some in, in, in my mind that I ask myself some of these times. But side note. But again, after the walls of water come down and destroy Pharaoh and his army, Miriam... She grabs her tambourine, little drums, and her squad of ladies, and they just start to sing and dance. Again, do you see the natural response of being redeemed, of being saved? It's to sing and dance. And I don't know about you guys, but as I was thinking about this, there's another thought of me. Wouldn't it be great to see all the ladies in here get up and sing and dance right now in response to their salvation? Oh, Guys, you guys are a little soft, man. You don't want to say anything because you know your wives, you know, will get all mad at you, huh? I'll just, all right. If, if my wife was here, she's in nursery, I'd, I'd make her sing and dance. But let's go, babe. You know, let's go. Sing and dance. All right. We won't make you do that. How about kiddos? Any kiddos want to sing and dance? Respond to the Lord? Yeah, by the way, pastor's son. Pastor's son right there. Ah, yeah, yeah. But again, we see, this, we see this response. It's a physical response, right? There's singing, there's dancing, there's playing of the instruments. The people are physically responding to being saved. And this is how it should be for us. Uh, are there times for soul searching? Absolutely. Are there times that we should be contemplative? Absolutely. But the majority of our life, if we've been, if we've been saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ, the response of our lives should be daily praise. Singing out loud, raising our hands, clapping. You know, when we come after the COVID stuff, we can get, to get together and, and hug each other and sway back and forth with one another. It should be a physical response of praise because what He has done for us. And you're like, well, Aaron, it says dancing. It says dancing here. So can Christians dance? And you know, you get that, can Christians dance? And here's my response. Uh, some can and some can't, you know? Some can and some can't. That's my response. Again, you can just move your bodies and we'll call it dancing, right? That's God's goodness. But again, this is a response, I think, I think in general, in, in like the, the gathering, the Lord kind of gives us a, a Sunday gathering. He kind of gives us some ways in 1 Corinthians. So I don't think we necessarily dance like at a Sunday gathering. Uh, we can. Some people do kind of during worship, but that's not typically how it is. But anything outside of that, it's like, yes, move your body. 
dance. It's a physical response to what God has done for us. It's a physical response. Nothing is, is, is off limits. So everyone, again, that's been marked by the gospel, our lives, when people look at us, we should, we should, we should be a, a people of joy. And we should celebrate physically. Uh, one, that the proclamation and the truth of Scripture should propel our hearts to move every Sunday, but also singing. This is why we sing. We don't just sing just to sing because that's the thing you do. We sing because we want to honor the Lord and worship Him through our physical uh, expressions. I want to end with a Martin Luther quote. And it's a great quote. This is what Martin Luther said. He said, I am not ashamed to confess publicly that next to theology and preaching and the study of Scripture, there is no art which is equal of music. Get that? So he said, number one is, is studying and preaching this Word, God's Word. Number two is singing God's Word. He said, he goes on, for she alone after theology can do what otherwise only theology can accomplish. Namely, quiet and cheer up the soul of men and women. Which is clear evidence that the devil, the originator of depressing worries and troubles, thoughts, flees from the voice of music just as he flees from the words of theology. Isn't that good? It's beautiful. He goes on, For this very reason the prophets cultivated no art so much as music in that they attach their theology, the gospel, not, not to geometry, not to arithmetic or, or to astronomy. All those things are good, created by God. We celebrate them. But he applied it to music. He applied it to music. Speaking or singing the truth through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And we see in, in Colossians and Ephesians that this is how we are to interact with one another. We are to interact with one another by singing praises of songs and hymns and spiritual songs. This is the way we celebrate the gospel and what he has done for us. Amen. So here again, is just a, this is a high overview of the, what a good praise song. There's many other characteristics, but here we just want to make sure that these three characteristics must be foundational in our worship to the Lord. It's a great reminder for us this morning that praise and worship for us first is a response to what God has done. It's centered and focused on the Lord and on Him alone. And we praise the Lord with everything how He has made us. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. It is a physical expression to His goodness in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this song. Lord, this song just lays out perfectly for us the um, how to worship and what makes a good praise song and, and solid worship the foundation. Lord, and it began with Moses. Lord, thank you for Moses and, and, and making him mighty, not only in deeds, but also in words. And he gives us this great song along with Miriam. And we, we see it's a, it's, a corporate, it's a corporate relationship. All of us coming together to use our times and our talents and our treasures to lift up the name of Christ. Lord, You are the great I Am. You are the one in whom we worship. And Lord, may we, when we end this song, may we, may we sing it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.